and I'm reading from the eighth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. I'd like to just talk to you for a moment, and we'll pray that the Lord will do his perfect work in this house. Moses has an emphatic word for the people. It is layered with spiritual foresight and more than just intuitive thinking. What I'd like you to do is forget about everything that's happened in your week and I want you to try your best just to concentrate on what is written in the Bible here. Beware, verse 11, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments. That's how you forget him. You think that because you remember him or you know his name that you haven't forgotten him. That's not true. You forget him when you don't keep his commandments. And his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when you have eaten, you're full. You built some nice homes and you lived in them, verse 13. And when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver, your gold is multiplied. Everything you have has been multiplied. You went from one to three, from two to ten. Lest when all that happens, when you gain and you have measures of austerity, when you have wealth, then thine heart be lifted up and you forget and thou forget the Lord thy God. Because you weren't always that way. He brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. There is a house called bondage. He led you through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought and there was no water. He brought forth water out of a flint rock. Led you in the wilderness with manna. He fed you. Your fathers never saw that. That he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy ladder. That at the end you would have something. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Look what I did. But thou shalt, again, remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And he may establish covenant, his covenant. He swore it into your fathers, as it is this day, don't forget. Amen. Everybody said in Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor for just 30 seconds and just say, we're so glad that you're here and sitting next to me. And Amen.
I may not be exactly in theme, but I am in context. I hope everybody knows where they are today. I was, I was out in the front lawn of the church, of course, before the fireworks began, and a, a little child ran up to me and said, where's my mom? And I said, I'm going to find her. But first, who are you? (laughs) On the surface of this very small passage of Deuteronomy, it's probably overlooked by a casual reader, there is some history that allows us to see a greater picture if you could took an if you could take an aerial view of it, you could see the broader context. Of course, when you're living in the moment, it's hard to see beyond the moment. The time is more anxious and it's difficult to know where you are. It's very difficult to know where you are. Self-perception is one of the greatest gifts you'll ever find. But when you don't know, it's speculative at best, simply because the day has not been presented in its full form. Any one of us can hypothesize about tomorrow or the next, but until we get there, all of our present predictions are just conjectural. A thousand thoughts have been uttered only to come to naught. Even the Bible says to boast not of tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own evil. you got your own trouble waiting for you tomorrow. It's when you are able to look back and see you can understand the path that has been taken. The good decisions stand out as do the poor ones. A misstep here or there or a choice of faith even. Which has then been affirmed by real evidence, the tangible blessings of God. You can see them more clearer when you look behind you. None of us can know for certain what our decisions today will look like tomorrow. We hope that we're doing right today because whatever you're doing today will affect your tomorrow. Today's decisions are seeds that are planted. Tomorrow comes the fruit of those seeds. When we were younger, we could make mistakes and live to talk about it. Maybe. I wouldn't encourage it, however, because you never know how damaging one poor decision can be and how many years it would take to get over that. But to be true, and because I have to tell the truth, and also because my parents are here and they're not yet in full dementia, I do have to say, I wasn't all that good. (laughs) forgive me Lord for that (laughs) 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 but there does come a time 
When you are simply too old to do something regrettable. I'm hesitant to say it, but you're just too old. And for all those to whom it may concern, it doesn't matter what you think about your ability or your strength or how young you think you are in your mind or how athletic you might believe yourself to be. Your brain has a fondness that your joints and muscles do not share. Mm-hmm. Investors have always had me fill out forms about how comfortable I am with my $100 that I invested. They call it my risk factor. In the early years, my risk factor was low. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, I mean, it was high. It was, you know, I, it would be, it'd be four to five. I could be risky. The lower you are, the more risky. But, but, but the last one I filled out was eight to nine. It means I don't feel like I want to lose. I don't have time. I'll forfeit a bigger return today and play it safer. But 30 years ago, I didn't think that way. Then I believed that there was time to recover if something bad happened to me. But the closer I get to the end, the less time I have to regain whatever I might lose. If I was at the beginning, or if I thought I was at the beginning, maybe I would not care as much. But when the day begins to close and the nightshades begin to form, when I'm standing far past the meridian sun... I hope you can hear this today. The night cometh, ladies and gentlemen. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago a scripture. Now tell me where we are today. This is what Paul wrote to the church. And that knowing the time, the time that now, 2,000 years ago, it is hot time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in chambering or a wantonness, not in strife or envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Who was Paul talking to? He was talking to the church in Corinth. He was not talking to the sinner. He was not talking to the reviler. He was not writing to the unbeliever. He was not addressing people who were void of the knowledge of, the, of Jesus Christ or the cross. They knew of the significance of the blood. They were all born again, twice born, blood bought, redeemed by the Lamb, saints of the Most High God. He said, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. So tell me, how close are we now? Tell me. Why did Paul feel the need to insert all those other directives, which included works of darkness and honest living and not given to sexual misconduct or alcohol or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy? If they were saved, why did he feel led to tell them to make no provision for the flesh? And if that was not enough, if that church didn't have enough issues, Paul went in to address other churches. In fact, he addressed the church in Galatia, and he said something very similar, which can be summarized with these words. I'll, I'll read it to you. Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul began with a bewilderment when he wrote that letter. To the church of Galatia. He said I marvel that you are so soon removed. I was just with you. I gave you the truth. But somebody perhaps someone clever. 
has twisted what I told you. They threw you into confusion and distorted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the only gospel that has ever existed and shall ever exist. So Paul wrote, stand fast to the church. He made you free, so stay free. He gave you liberty, so keep your liberty. He unloosed the chains that had you bound. He untangled your life. Do not get entangled again with the burden of bondage. You already moved out of the house of bondage. Why would you move back in? Paul had to address the very people who had been baptized in, the, in Jesus' name. Because in the Bible, that's the only way anyone was ever baptized. They were baptized in Jesus' name. Because when, when the Lord said, baptize him in the name of the Father, the name of the Father is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm coming in my Father's name. The, son, the name of the Son is Jesus. We know that from Matthew one twenty one, And Jesus even said, he'll send the comforter in my name. There's only one name in heaven and earth. There's only one name. They were all baptized in the name of Jesus. He wrote to people who had been born again of the water and the spirit. Why did he write those words? Because they forgot where they came from. They were repeating the same foolish mistakes their ancestors made when Moses wrote Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now look, the benefit of the second and third child, fourth, is that you get to learn from the first child. I didn't always know what to say. But I knew if it worked out bad for Scotty, (laughs) just don't say what he said. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I know that one was the wrong one. They were repeating the same mistakes that their ancestors made. He led you, ladies and gentlemen, and he fed you. He lifted you and he gifted you. He sought you out and he bought you. And then he brought you. And then he set you up. But you got a little money now. You got a nicer car. Yeah, when you had to take the clothes hanger, wrap it around your muffler, you prayed harder. Got a nicer house. You got a few extra things. In fact, you passed some tests and someone gave you a diploma. It cost you $50,000, but... Now you consider yourself educated. You think highly of yourself. That's why you, uh uh-oh, stay away from Wednesday night Bible study. Because nobody's got anything to teach you. That's why you don't come to prayer meetings. (laughs) Or life groups. You don't hide yourself under spiritual authority. How are we doing now? Get the flags back out here. It was good doing. Because the multiplication has caused you to consider yourself sufficient. All the while the Holy Spirit is calling out and I feel him saying even now. You are too close to the end to make a bad investment 
in your intellect. Your brain's going to fail you. You're too close to the rapture to make a risky investment in your own confidence or in your ability or in your, or your means to make money. You don't have time to recover. None of us have time to recover. Now is the time. The day is far spent and the night is at hand. Abraham had the covenant, but three generations later, they all forgot about God. Moses led the people out of Egypt, but three months later, they doubted that God would lead them into Canaan. Joshua conquered most of the land, but their grand, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren grew up, and they never even heard of Joshua. They knew nothing that he had done, nor yet the works that the Lord had done for them. It's easy to forget when you're not in bondage. You have enough freedom, you'll forget where you came from. And when you forget your history, you'll never know where you're going. In fact, the moment you forget your history and the reason how, and the reason and the, and, and the ability and how we came to be, you'll go right back into the place that you came from. Here's your Bible. Othniel led the people out of the hand of Aram. He was the first judge. But when life got good and they had houses and land and sheep and money, they forgot about God and went right back into bondage. They went back into bondage until Ehud, Ehud rather, came to town. The Moabites took them captive, but they repented and Ehud set them free. Then they sinned again, of course, and then there was more torment. Then came Shamgar, same thing until Deborah and Barak, then Gideon, Tolar, J.R., Jephthah, Ebzan, Elan, Abdon, and Samson. It probably doesn't matter matter what age or time or dispensation the preacher is standing, our tendency is to forget where we came from and where God brought us from. And it leads us back into the place of our suffering. So I rise to say to everybody who can hear the word and everyone who feel the spirit, we cannot go back where we came from. God set you free. He gave you liberty. He gave our nation liberty. He gave the church freedom. Stand fast, ladies and gentlemen, and don't forget where you came from. Uh, read your Bible. The prophets did their best. But of course, many of them were stoned. They were killed for preaching the law and the things of God and holiness. The kings did not fare much better. Most of them were vile and corrupt in their own right. Surely we can look back at the past and catch a glimpse of what not to do. I'm not talking about hypothesizing. There is no conjecture here. All we have to do is look back and see what they did and how not to do it. And I felt the Lord impress this word on me. When a church forgets its origin, it also relinquishes its strength. The memory of his goodness is the keeping of his word. Our resolve to do and to be is kept when we remember what he did for us and where we came from and who it is that gave us liberty and the Holy Ghost. Uh. And when the nation forgets what freedom cost, then the symbols of that nation become empty. When the nation forgets what it cost to bring us to this moment, then its symbols are rejected. The symbols are just that. They are not actual. It's the cost that counts. But when the flag becomes offensive, it means that there is no consideration of the cost involved or the suffering it took to climb out of that chaos and conflict. I'm not enamored with the symbol just for the sake of the symbol. But I'm thinking about the purity, the valor, and the perseverance that it represents. And you heard it today. People were behind it. People. 
blood, sacrifice. Sacrifice was the thread that wove it together. Struggle and hills and mountains stamped it its form together. Such is the case with the cross of Calvary. No matter what material it's made out of, the greatest sacrifice of all was made on a cross which has long since decayed. Time has rotted the wood and the earth has swallowed up its remain. But the one who hung there is the reason why any one of us might use the symbol of the cross. It's not just a symbol for the sake of the symbol. A cross in any form with any substance is just a reminder that the Lamb of God died for you and me. And I don't take it lightly. Not for superstition, but for the sake of what it represents. Every time I see a shiny cross hanging around some obscene music star or some vile person in the world, I know that they have no idea what that means. They think it's jewelry, but I see the cost of my freedom. They think it's nice decor. It's more than decor. And I'm not just enamored with one cross or ten crosses. It doesn't really matter. All we have to do is think that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And when you see the American flag, you got to know there's people that I don't know and faces that I have never seen and names I'll never figure out that gave me the ability right now to speak. When I see people burn the American flag, I got two thoughts. First, I'm a little repulsed. And secondly, I smile. Because you're the only nation in the world that can burn its own flag and not go to prison. So I say, what you don't know is the item that you're burning has given you the liberty to burn it. I'm repulsed because I know they have no idea what they're doing. But I'm not going to criticize them when I see the people of the Most High God moving back into bondage. Because we're more disturbed about what's happening to that than we are with what's happening with this. I'll tell you where you got your liberty. You got it at altar. You got it in the blood. You got it in the death of Jesus Christ. And you can't forsake it. I got a parade for you. How about a parade of the blood bought? How about you wave the cross and say, we're never going back. Now, if you want to get back to the house of bondage, all you have to think about is how you're multiplied. Think about how sufficient you are. Come on, all you, all you fat cats out there. Think about your 401ks. I want you to think about your careers and how much money you're making. Think about how nice your car is. I want you to think about armor all that you put on your tires and how you feel good about yourself when you, when you climb into your barca lounger. I want to tell you, none of that ever mattered. Your multiplication might in fact lead you away from the cross of Calvary. Just because you got more doesn't mean you don't need him. In fact, without him, you got nothing. I don't care how much you have without him, you got nothing. The bondage of Egypt is going to welcome you back home. Egypt is always saying, come on back. Don't you remember all the stuff we used to do? Your past addictions are waving you from afar. Jealousy has kept a warm place at the table for you, and hate will become your new home. 
you'll get right back in all that mess and entangled again. The moment you forget that he set you free, you're going right back to the same house of bondage you came from. That's the moment you go back to the place where you got out of. Take a good look at your hands, ladies and gentlemen. Open up your hands because we are filled with communities who rely upon their own hands. And our hands are filled with our stuff. That's why it's hard to lift up your hand because you're holding on to so much junk. And the church, according to Paul, breathed from the Holy Spirit. The church is no different. We came here by way of the cross. We gained access by way of suffering. It was a miracle that we found this great salvation. And the night is far spent and the day is at hand, which means there's no time to waste. And I'll even say to the teenagers and the 12-year-olds, you're too old to mess around. And when you get to that guy's age next to you, you know who you are. You're far too old to mess around. You can't turn around now. You don't have any time to recover. You don't make an investment in the world. It's a risky business. It'll take everything you have and you don't have time to recover. Don't think for a moment that Mary and Martha did not fall down and cry when Lazarus hobbled out of the grave. The people which stood by would have surely been overcome with emotion. Ow! A rotting corpse has come to life. Still bound in grave clothes, still constrained with the elements of death. They loosed him and they set him free. The impossible became a reality. And I will surmise that once Lazarus came out, they were all going crazy. There are no verses that tell me what happened next or their response. But if somebody gets out of the grave and Hitchcock did not write the script, it's not Friday the 13th and if Jesus calls them out, I promise you would not be sitting there like a bump on a pickle. You wouldn't be, what do they call it, the frozen chosen? No. You'd go crazy. You might even lose yourself for a moment. You'd be screaming. You'd be sweating. Some of you'd be crying. You'd be shouting. Some of you'd be running up and down. It'd be incredible. Some of you just go back home and say, I don't know if I can take this. Yeah. But just common sense tells me that once you've been resurrected, you'd rather not see those grave clothes again. Once you've hobbled out of that tomb, that place of imprisonment has no appeal. You never want to go back there. You won't wander in because once you've been set free, you don't want to be bound up again. Really? It's just my own thought that once he brought you out, you don't want to go back in. Hear me. If you were going to do something foolish... You ought to have done it a long time ago. Too late. Too late. Now it's time to live like there's no time left. This is Paul. He's writing. Here's the Bible. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Here's how you should live. Soberly. It's not a game. Righteously, that's called right living. You do the right thing. And godly. That's next to God, whatever he would do in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Now, do you know that we fought to gain our liberty as a nation? We fought that battle. The problem is no one's teaching what we fought for. And so the scorn is made on the founders, but what the founders created got us out of a mess. And that every infraction that the nation ever committed, the founders set the path, but they got it from the word. The reason why we can come together is because there's a historical account. That's what we did. We're not going to do that again. When you got in the church, it was the Lord that paid the price for your, for your liberty, and he did so in the spirit. Or as Jesus said himself, if the Son therefore shall make you free, do not think that your spiritual freedom is based on anything less than the price that was paid. And I cannot predict the same liberties that we enjoyed it today will always be. I, I don't want to give you that false notion. I don't want you to think that we will always be able to worship together without regard to government or law. Most of the born-again believers in world history and even today worship in different places. They do not, they have liberty in the spirit, but they are bound by the rules of the state. And I say if we are struggling in our worship today, what shall it be when we are not allotted all of these things? Your liberty, ladies and gentlemen, in the Holy Ghost is not based upon the whims of a politician or the movement of the Supremes or the decisions of the lower or upper house. Jesus made you free. You are born by the Spirit and blessed, and you are blessed by the Spirit, and it is a blessing to remember that you are once bound, but by the grace and tender mercies of the Lord, He broke the bondage and paid the price. If there was ever a time for you to walk into a house and worship, or walk down the street and sing the songs that you learned in church, or to pray openly in the public square, or when you bow your head, surely you don't have to go to Chick-fil-A to pray. Everybody feels good praying at Chick-fil-A. That's the only place where the people say, God bless you. Here's your overpriced chicken. You don't go there for a deal. And you can't go today. Surely you can go into some other place and bow your heads and pray. All right, you got the middle of Applebee's. They're selling all the wine. You got another, you got another spirit in you. It's not the spirits they're serving. You got the Holy Spirit and you ought to be able to, what's going to happen? You mean you walked in here today and you didn't shout and you didn't clap and you didn't praise? You got all the liberty to do it. Take advantage of the liberty. Jesus has made you free. So the Lord did this and we can ill afford to forget it. Or as James once wrote, and I quote, and I'm almost through. James wrote, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Let's look into it. And you continue in. In that perfect law, 
he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If you'll just remember and be a doer, you'll be blessed. But you can ill afford to forget. You must not forget. Because when we forget, we open a door and walk back in and we pick up clothes and we put them back on. Hear me, saints. The Lord set you free. He set you free. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. And ultimately, it won't matter what happens to this nation or to the world. The Lord already set you free. Did you know that there were saints living in Caesar's household? They called Caesar the beast. I don't have time to explain, but Caesar, Augustus, was the beast. And there are saints, believers, born-again apostolics, tongue-talkers, people baptized in Jesus' name living in that household. And if they can live in that, in that mess, in that bondage, and still love God and be called the saints of the Most High God, what about all of us? We got it good right now. I'll tell you what we ought to be doing. We ought to be proclaiming the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We ought to be going everyone, everywhere and saying Jesus is Lord. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, above all, and through you all. You ought to be loving the Lord. You ought to be praising God in the sanctuary. Come on, stand with me and worship the Lord for a moment. You've been set free. Do not forget you've been set free. Ah. I don't know who I'm talking to, but when that little child walked up to me on Friday and asked me where her mama was, I walked away and I had turned around and saw the building. And I understand what, what the building is. And the Bible says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, the mother of us all. And I turned back around because I had just met several people that stopped serving the Lord. I was hugging on them and loving on them. It was just right after that 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 little child came and asked me where their mother was. They lost their mama. I turned around and saw this building and I said, they're not the only ones that lost their mama. I was gripped. Because I know what God had done for them. And now, what happened? What happened? What happened? You got entangled again. You went right back to that mess. Do you realize what's going on? I would say to all of you, don't get entangled again. The church is the mother of us all. Come on, find your, find your father. Find your mother. The heavenly father is here. He's wooing you. He's speaking to you through his Holy Ghost and through his anointed oracle. And now I want you just to take advantage of it because this is all about Jesus. Just say it. I need you, Jesus. I'm not going to lose what I have here. I'm not going back out there. Hmm. 
I woke up singing this today. I told Brother Zach. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. A thousand elsewhere.